If you've ever wanted to achieve something significant, something burns inside of you that you just want to excel at and you are desperate for any insight that's going to allow you to succeed at that, then you have found the place that you've been looking for. This is the home of what I call the 100. Many years ago, I recognized that if I knew at least 100 highly capable, talented leaders and performers, then when we wanted to achieve something, I could reach out to the people who already knew how to do it, and I could use their strategy, which means a high return on any effort that we put in. So this group is now called The 100, and they're the people that I access for the show, and the intent is to bring you unique insights that they have to achieve all sorts of incredible things. And along the way, I will coach you on how to execute their knowledge. What's really important for you when you turn up is that you need to have front of mind. What is it that you want to get really good at? Today's show is brought to you by The Micro Library a unique collection of over 100 short videos with concise solutions to any of the challenges your people are facing in business. Maybe they're hiring, leading, sales are down, culture's a problem, people are a bit flat. Whatever the challenge, there'll be a short three to six minute video to guide your people on how to solve that problem super fast. It is truly your unfair training advantage. Check out the entire range at themicrolibrary.com. Okay, Colby, throw to the show, mate. Hello. Welcome to Dobbo's podcast. The show is about to start, so pull up a chair, open the popcorn, and get ready to learn some really helpful shit. Hello, folks. Today we have the joy of talking about everybody's favourite topic, which is COVID. Not. However, isn't it unbelievable that just about every single time you have a conversation with anybody in Australia, that is the first thing we talk about, because it is fundamentally a consistent reality we're all navigating. As leaders, there are big challenges to lead through. For leaders particularly, we need to keep our business moving forward, but we also have people that are working from home or inconsistently coming to the office that have moving goalposts about when they think they may get out of lockdown or the moment they are in lockdown, it gets recanted and we are back in lockdown and they are coping with mental health issues, if you like. They are coping with constant change, deflation, for some people be considered depression. It is very difficult as a leader to suddenly have to switch into being basically a counsellor for your entire team. And the reality is, what are you going to tell them? What can you do? Are we meant to keep them up? Are we meant to let them drop? Do we give them days off? Do we just give them more work to do? How are we going to navigate this? So what I want to do today is share with you the guidance that I'm giving the people in the business club, where we meet whenever we can at the moment, usually over Zoom because not face-to-face at the moment, but also clients that I've got all around the country and give you a couple of different approaches that I'm offering them depending on where their people are at. For example, some people have gone into Brisbane, Queensland, have gone into lockdown really for the first time. People in Melbourne, they really did it hard this time last year. And as a result, they've got almost like a trauma and they're doing it again and they're just numb. People in Sydney, there's a complete deflation because it doesn't look like it's going to lift. They've also got different businesses with different levels of uh, dynamics, if you like, different moving pieces and different ingredients. So I want to introduce you to these strategies. I'm going to walk you through them right now. And my intent is that you'll be able to find something here that you can use to navigate your people or maybe yourself and your family through this patch. I think it's important to say, I'm not immune to all the crap that's going on. I have to navigate it as well. We've actually just had a young boy. He's eight weeks old. And we've actually been navigating that challenge of having two kids and everyone's sick and it's been a mess. So in actual fact, 
there's been some aspects of that that's been more challenging than COVID. And it's only now that we've got some little an equilibrium there, if you like, that we now got our eyes to, oh, grandma and grandpa can't come and see the kids. Like we're now probably experiencing that a little bit more confronting. But everyone's different. I'm not immune to it. So let's walk through some fundamental basics for navigating this. My absolute go-to on this are the five stages of grief. It is something you'll be able to Google. If you just Google five stages of grief and you click on images, you'll get a graph. I'm just about certain that will pretty much align to what I'm about to say now. And the five stages of grief are relevant because grief is about death, the loss of something. And every time a lockdown happens or a new restriction comes into place, we lose something. And in the very early days when this first happened, the loss was epic. We realized that we can't see our friends. We can't go to the gym. We can't go outside a 5K radius. We can't leave the house anytime we want it. We've got to wear a, a mask and we've lost that freedom as well. Every time we lose something, it is a death. And we are consistently dealing with many, many small deaths and some larger ones. And as a result, the behavior you're seeing in your people reflects loss not necessarily, say, a lack of work ethic or not necessarily depression or fatigue. It's, it's grief. So the five stages of grief are as follows. The first stage is denial. That is when you cannot believe it to be true. And of course, if we did get a phone call that we'd lost somebody, and I hope you haven't had that experience, but many of us had really, you receive a phone call and the first instinct is, no, that can't be right. I, I just got off the phone to them or I was, I'm having breakfast with them tomorrow. It's not that you're not smart enough to work it out. It's just such a shock. It, it, it just seems impossible to you. It's such, and especially because it's such a, it's like the, the fabric of your life. How, what do you mean that is not there? I cannot conceive it not being there. So a natural reaction is to say that's not possible. Off the back of that denial comes anger. When we start to work out it is true. And we don't know what to do with this grief. And so it turns into fury, someone to blame to get annoyed at. That cannot be true. I'm out. This is ridiculous. They're not going to stop. They surely wouldn't stop the entire economy. They're not going to stop you from seeing your friends. That's ridiculous. Oh, I can't go on forever. And whether these comments are logical or rational or irrational, it's irrelevant. Anger is the emotion that someone goes through after denial when they've had a loss of some sort. Now, of course, at the end of anger, we eventually get to a point where we have to accept it in some way. And that category is, well, the, the emotion happens then is depression. We are down. And it's not down because we're a bit tired with life and we don't know what our goals are. It's because we feel like the, the soul of life, the fabric, the joy of life has been ripped out from underneath us. And if you think about what would happen if some, when we attend a funeral, if it's someone close to us, we just want to curl up in a ball and just not do anything. But that funeral forces us to participate in life. If there was no ritual like that, we would continue just to wallow possibly in private and nobody would break us out of that pattern. At that time, a person needs a lot of emotional support. And if you think about your people having grief and loss, then the way that you would lead or reflect on the way you might try to assist them would be different because someone who is depressed because they've truly lost somebody needs not time on their own or needs a day off work. Often they need the ritual, the repetitiveness of work, but they need it to be perhaps managed a bit more sympathetically, or they need to have a kind ear, or they need someone to drag them out of bed in the morning and say, hey, let's go for a walk. We're in each other's you know, radius or whatever it is. So we behave slightly differently. Now, after the depression stage, the next stage is bargaining, where we try to find a way 
to keep the old alive. Now, in the very first and early part of the COVID experience with lockdowns in Australia, there was this optimistic view where we all hopped on Zoom calls and we'd have a glass of wine or a cocktail party and we had birthday parties online. And it was a way to try to keep things alive as if, oh, this is just a, this is just a, it's happening for a little bit. It's not really a big deal. You know, well, and there's this adaption we're trying to make, but we're still trying to hold on to the old. After the bargaining stage, we then get to the acceptance stage that we say, right, now we have to have our new COVID normal, you know, or so-and-so is not alive anymore. This might be how we're going to keep them alive. Or I can't go to the gym anymore, but I've accepted that this is my new workout routine. It's in the backyard and it's using these tin cans full of sand, some version of that. Now, of course, what is happening at the moment is that every time there is a new, say, Delta strain or there's a new type of lockdown or a new issue of whatever, we have the death of COVID normal. So once we've gone through this, we think we found our mojo, we then have it all change again. So your people go through it again. As a matter of fact, they go through this process every time they get news of another significant change or loss in their lifestyle. Also, when I'm commenting on this, I think it's important, I want to make clear, I'm not trying to comment on COVID or Delta or vaccines or any of that stuff. It's so emotionally charged. It's a bloody minefield of disaster. I'm not trying to comment on that at all. So have your stance however you have it. So when I'm flagging out um, some suggestions or like I'm referring to Delta or lockdowns or whatever, I'm not trying to step into the political conversation of what's right or wrong or what's true or what's false. Or It's very murky and cloudy. I just keep coming back to this model because I find it's a universal tool that helps any boss have this conversation with their people and it helps me have a conversation with my clients about exactly where they're at. And it also means that we can change our leadership a little bit. Instead of looking at our people thinking, how do I keep them going? How do I make them happier? How do I, maybe I'd give them some time off, for example. We can say, oh, hang on, if it's a grief model, I would have to change my behavior. But let's be specific about where to change your behavior. Depending on where someone is in the five stages, they need different things from the people around them and particularly from leadership. In the first two, denial and anger, at that stage, what they need more than anything from everybody, but particularly a leadership source, is information and communication. You will have noticed when, or recall, when COVID first sort of got announced and ScoMo was on the airwaves and telling us we're doing this lockdown and similar, what we tend to do is crave going to the news. We're constantly updating our news feed because we're looking for the next bit of information. We'd all quickly, what time is our premiere are speaking? We'd click in and watch and we want to get the latest update. It's a craving for information. During this stage, your people will be craving knowledge from you about what are we going to do? How does this change things? How's work going to work? What is our approach? How does it impact us on a day-to-day basis? Now, you may not know. So the way you handle this is that you just look to the future of which you have some certainty and you only comment or lead on that. For example, when COVID first happened, ScoMo would come out pretty much every two days with an updated uh, plan, right? And really, there's a lot of changing things. It was completely new to the entire community. And so when we got the business club together, we were getting together pretty much every day, and we would all make plans for our teams and for ourselves with the information we had for the next two days. And we'd openly say to our teams, you know what? For the next two days, until we find out otherwise, this is our approach, and then we'll wait till ScoMo talks on whatever date or whatever Premier speaks, and then we'll plan again. And for a while there, we were just planning two days at a time, until eventually it was quite clear that in Melbourne anyway, there was going to be a four-week lockdown, then there was a break and then a longer one. 
And then we could say, right, okay, we've got a two-month lockdown. And one of the things that ScoMo did say in the early days was, look, these support packages last for six months. And then after that, pretty much you have to have pivoted during that time. I know some people hate that word, but you have to have changed some changes during that time to be able to survive in the new COVID normal. That's your time frame. So then as business owners, we all started to plan for the next six months. Say, what do we need to do in this time before sort of the, the support packages lift and then we're on our own a little bit? Now, granted, some of those things change, but that's the way you would handle it. If you don't know how to guide your people because you can't see any certainty, you just discuss the certainty that you can see ahead. Kind of like driving at nighttime, your headlights only see a certain distance ahead. That's all you actually need. So don't worry about what's off further in the future. You look just in the range of the the headlights. In the second part, the second stage, it's not actually the second stage in the third, but it's it's the second need. During a depression period, people need emotional support. However that would come to somebody who's had a death, whether it be going for a walk, a random phone call, a care package, a card, getting other people to touch base with them, see how they are, any kind of routine to keep people involved so they've still got some activity to keep chugging away. Sometimes you just got to get a person into the shower, right? You got to just say, hey, I know things are bad. Let's just freshen up. Let's have some food. It can be real basic. But if you think that your people in that depression stage, it's emotional support they need. Now, there are many programs out there that are very good at mindfulness, dealing with anxiety, depression, similar, and that might be a great resource to bring into your company or to send them a resource on this or to read a resource so you know to help someone. This may not be your area of expertise, but that's the problem that you need to solve and lead towards. Now, the third need applies to the last two categories of bargaining and acceptance, and that is that they need guidance and direction at this time. If you provide guidance and direction, almost like an innovation or an adaption, if you like, if you provide that too early, it will just fall on deaf ears and you'll feel like you you will experience being uh, isolated away from people. You are no longer helpful because they feel like you're out of touch, you, you don't care, you know, you're all about the business, you're all about the money. You might have just got to that last stage quickly and you're trying to get your people there, but really it's only once your people are at this stage are they going to be receptive to some of those things. Now, at the moment, things are very murky because with each change in each different state, uh, with each different premier, with each different region or suburb, and especially interest levels, because some people don't have some things, if they don't go to the gym, they're not impacted by that closure, right? If they're not a cyclist that wants to ride you know, 50 kilometers away from the house, they're not impacted by that. So we've got everybody at slightly different stages. So as a leader, we have to be quite astute to where our people are at. And the easiest way to do that is to put this model in front of your people and just say, hey, listen to this podcast, or I found this model, somebody flagged this idea with me. These are the five stages. Which stage do you think you're at? And this will be quite uh, a healing process for people to be able to plot on a chart where they are, because it helps them make sense of what they're navigating. Because at the moment, everything is so murky, they are not really sure what's going on for them. What continues to be a challenge for people, especially the high performer, they tend to not drop their standards, even though their workload is doubled, even though they've had all their resources taken off them. The classic high performer, which you may well be because you're listening to this, it doesn't even cross their mind to achieve less or to be more kind to themselves. They just expect that they will still be able to get the same outcomes. And your people, many of your people are high performers and they're doing the same thing. And they're disappointed because they're not getting the same outcomes. They're not taking into consideration that there's a huge amount of change that's happening because they know that intellectually, but they don't allow that as an excuse to underperform. And then they've got this sadness or this frustration and they can't plot 
or they can't name or understand what's going on for them. So just by having a conversation around these five stages can really liberate your people's uh, sense of certainty, their well-being, their clarity, and can move them into the next stage because they feel understood. I think for you as a leader too, it really helps if you can work out where you are and then play your role in meeting one of the needs, either information and communication, emotional support, or then the last one, guidance and direction, which is really about innovation, changes, uh, response, if you like, clever responses. So once I've explored the five stages of grief, another thing that I find is really important to talk about, particularly with my clients, because my clients are usually the CEO or the business owner, they're real talents, uh, they're freak performers, and they're also driving uh, everything forward, right? They are. They have all the responsibility. They're driving it forward. They're high performers. And what I find I have to talk about next is actually how the high performer is handling this. As I mentioned a little bit earlier, the high performer does not lower their standards. What I found at the end of the Melbourne lockdown, I don't even know what number it was anymore. It was like near Melbourne Cup, so much lifted about October, November, something like that. I had business owners telling me that they had found themselves just crying in private or wanting to cry that they felt like caged animals, uh, that they have lost all soul for their work and they understand why, that they are drinking more than they, they used to and they don't understand it, that when they go and do a workout, if they go for a run or something, their times are just miles off, they just feel fatigued, they've got no energy. And what they were unaware of was that the, the core thing that used to fuel their high performance, the thing that refueled them, had been taken off the table where before they'd have a glass of wine with a bunch of friends or they would go for a bike ride or they might um, go and see a movie or they'd check out an incredible restaurant. The thing that fueled them, that healed them after a really tough week was taken off them. And so whereas in business they could navigate many challenges, what typically wasn't happening with business is it's not taking away that thing that refuels you, that time with loved ones, you know, the, the coffee with a friend, the laughter, that's the big one, the laughter and the touch of other people. So that's the next thing I always have to talk about and point out. And there's not really much more that I need to talk about here for you except to point that out. So it helps you realize, yes, that actually is the ingredient. As much as I could give somebody a day off at work or I could send them a care package or we can have fun drinks on Zoom, the thing that's missing is the thing that truly refuels. And so we want to have a conversation with somebody. How do you normally refuel? Prior to this, what was the thing that you now realize that you missed? Now, I did find that nobody typically could say laughter because it's not a doing activity. It's a byproduct of all these things, even closeness to other people. That was something not something that people language. So I throw them out here so you might be able to offer them to your team as you have this conversation. But I think it's important with your high performers to have a conversation about what fuel is missing because that helps them recognize perhaps how to fix it or perhaps help them work out, oh, that, that's why I'm underperforming and now it's okay. I can stop beating myself up just thinking I'm, I'm an underperformer right now. It's reasonable with that fuel missing that I might be having different emotions. So let's say we are aspirational and we don't like dropping our goals and we still need our people to be on point. Another way to tackle this is to lower our eyes on as far as to what goals we're doing. In the past, we had daylight when we're driving so we could see a long way into the future. Now we've only got headlights a little way into the future. We can only see a couple of days, weeks, months, whatever, and we don't feel like we've got the same resources. So a question I like to ask teams and leaders, high performance is, what is the lockdown? What is COVID 
giving you the opportunity to do or the permission to do, which before you couldn't have justified it. Is there a garden in the front of your house that you've always been wanting to clean, but you know it never seemed like justifiable because you had so many things to do? Are there files at work that need to get cleaned out? Is there a course that you really wanted all your people to do or a resource you wanted to provide to all your people? So like a, a welfare, mental health, leadership development, uh, public speaking, something that you would like to be, I've always wanted to do at home with your family, in your company that before you couldn't justify because you had much bigger fish to fry. But now you do actually have the time and we've just got to shift our psychology or our eyes to smaller targets. And these things that you do address, like for me, when I look at the backyard, uh, there was a few things just laying in the backyard because we had finished, haven't finished our renovation yet and there's some plants all over the place and there's weeds growing. And every time I see them, I can't justify going and spending half an hour or two hours doing it because we've had, you know, with a newborn and all the whole lot of crazy stuff going on, I haven't been able to justify doing it. But once that dust has settled and a few other things are in order or I cannot do some of the proactive activities, or I can't do the big ticket items in my business and maybe not even the big ticket items in my family. I'm like, oh, I, I can justify doing this now. And when I do it, I feel so good because every time I look out the back window and I see it, it annoys me. You've got those things in your business. People have them in their homes. And that's why a conversation with your people about what has this lockdown or COVID given you permission to do that before you couldn't comfortably do without feeling guilty or feeling like it was a waste of time. And you'll have those in your business and you have them at home. Now, of course, when we try to have this conversation with our people, we tend to not have clarity when we're in the swamp. When we're in the swamp, we've got mud all over us. It's a bloody mess. It's only when we go on holidays, we step back from our swamp, our step back from our life and our job, that we can get some clarity and step back in and work out what we need to do. Just like you're listening to this right now, you're essentially stepping mentally out of your work, out of whatever leadership responsibilities you have, out of your home life, and you're just pondering how to lead through the COVID lockdowns. That's a step back. It's not as good as going to Bali or skiing the Swiss Alps or whatever, but you're stepping out. When you're having your convers- this conversation with your people, you may need them to step out to think about some of their answers. Typically, if you lead one of these discussions over Zoom or over the phone or however, even one-on-one, that is still stepping out enough. It's reflective. But you may need to guide your people to, say, listen to something as they go for a walk or to go and sit in the backyard and have a cup of tea for half an hour and ponder the questions and then come back and call you again. You may need to guide your people to the stepping out because typically when someone's in the thick of it, they don't think they can or they think that it's impossible because there is nowhere to go. I'm not allowed out of my house. You are allowed out of your house and you're also allowed in different parts of your house or your apartment and you are allowed to do something different and you are allowed to mentally go wherever you need to and to get somebody mentally somewhere different, typically they need something to control their focus like a podcast, like a movie. It's a step away. Now, if they're constantly watching Netflix, that's not the same, right? That's that's part of swamp activity. It's anything different that draws their focus out, either physically step away or mentally and emotionally step away and reflect and we ponder. Another good question and conversation to have with your people is the question, when we look back at this era, what would we like to say? As a team, as a business, as a family, as an individual... Because I understand that right now 
you can't see what your goals or aspirations are, and many of them have been taken office. So it's very difficult to see into the future from where you are. However, if we fast forward and we look back, sometimes there's more clarity there. So the question is, when we look back three years from now, five years from now, maybe even 10 years from now, what would we like to be able to say about this era, that how we handled it, or what seed was created, what good came out of it, what happened, what we'd like to be able to say? Not necessarily what will we say, that's different. What would we like to be able to say? And by tabling this question, and possibly even giving people this question before you have the conversation, emailing it out, if, you, if, it, if that's the case, calling them up, texting it, giving people the meeting notes, this is what I want to hear everybody's comments on this, and allow them to think about it a little bit. By posing this, you're actually having people set a goal. But they don't know they're doing that, because if you ask someone what's their goal, they're not going to be able to do it very well at the moment. But by getting them to ponder the question and say, oh, you know, even if it's a rough answer, oh, I'd like to be at least able to say, I found some joy in it somewhere. Or I'd like to be able to say it wasn't a complete waste of time. Then we have a seed to build on. So we can continue the conversation. Well, if it wasn't going to be a waste of time, what would we what would we have done out of it? Like, what did we get? And it might be like, well, at least I cleaned my house. I finally read that book or I, I don't know, I made a new friend or something or I just changed the career because I always wanted to do that. What, whatever it is, but we want to be able to flush that out. And I found the best way to flush that out or an easier way to flush that out is not to ask people what they want from what's in front of them right now because all they can see is loss, is to look back on the era. So just two last strategies. One of the challenges that people are having by working at home is the complete lack of contrast. Uh, there was a, a, a writer many years ago that had total writer's block and approached me about it and swore that there was no way to fix it. You don't understand when a writer's block, you know, they can't, nothing they can do about it. It's a creative issue. And I said, no, that's nonsense. The challenge is you keep using the same computer. You need a new computer and you need a new place to write, of which he completely disagreed with. And I just kept on pushing the point. I said, does a certain place remind you of your first date? Yes. Does that what do you have a memory of that restaurant? Yes. Do you have a memory of that park bench you sat on? Yes. I said, places have memories. The computer that you've used has created the previous book. It can't create the next book because it's holding the memories, such huge memories, such hours and hours and hours of work. There's a mood that's associated to it. This doesn't feel like a clean slate. So sure enough, she got a new desk and a new computer and writer's block was gone. Now, other people argue there's other reasons for writer's block and stuff, but performance is my area, so I get the rest of them right. But for this conversation, what we needed was contrast, a clean slate. Now, when people are working at the same table that they're eating their meals at, that they're reading the newspaper at, they're having a cup of coffee at, they're having a fight with their partner at, that they're sitting in when they're flat, when they're taking phone calls, they become spaces have no memories. There's no contrast. It becomes incestuous. So every place in the house has too many memories. So what someone actually needs to do is create as much contrast as possible have different locations, in even in a small apartment, for different things. Turn a chair, face it the other way. Spin the table, um, spin the couch. Uh, do your emails in a different place. They'll be doing this instinctively, but they've possibly not um, really done it deliberately. Get a cheap piece of furniture from somewhere. Get a new beanbag. Put some cushions on the floor. Have a, a corner that's just used for when you're making phone calls to friends. Contrast is what needed. So as a boss you may not necessarily be able to get them to do those things. But what you can do is leverage the mail more and post people things. And I suggest there's two things that you can post. You can post something that would actually help them change their space, like a big inflatable toy, a green screen backdrop so they can put it behind their computer so they can change the background, just a different coffee mug so they've got a novelty in the morning. Just think about how you could physically change your people's space. The other thing that I think you could do for some 
contrast is rather than trying to help them, send them a box with all the postage and everything paid for and get them to fill it with some sort of care package for someone else in the company or one of their neighbors, somebody else that needs help. That way, when that arrives, you can have a conversation with your team. Who needs help right now? And what could you send them? And of course, they'll make it too complicated. They go, oh, I prefer to buy this stuff from so-and-so or I can't get it online. Or, I know this box is not really big enough. We have to encourage our people to work inside the parameters we're giving them. We just need to make them do something. And what we're really wanting them to do is create an emotion for somebody else. Because if you give me 50 cents, I won't feel rich. But if I give a child 50 cents, I will feel rich. At Christmas, it's not so much about getting the best present. It's about giving the best best present and seeing someone else light up. And when they light up, you feel awesome. When they say, oh, I've got this, or I don't really like this author, or that's a bit weird, you feel horrible. You could justify it and try to rationalize it that it's ridiculous and they're never grateful. But the truth is it doesn't have any joy. So the way we feel something is by giving that emotion to someone else. And if you need your people to feel something, you want to facilitate them giving that feeling to someone else. So even if it's not a care parcel, which I'm using in this example, maybe there are people in your business that have real gems of knowledge. Maybe somebody is an incredible, I don't know, singer, or they make things out of timber, or they are very good at having a unique sales process, or they love using Excel, and they could possibly find who Who else wants to learn this, and could I give it to them? Now, some of those things are a bit more tedious, and they lack Uh, the texture of a 3D experience, which is a box and filling it and posting it. It's a true activity and it's not just virtual because everything's virtual right now. They're sick of that. But at its core right here, what I'm talking about is helping somebody have contrast, either physical in the physical space or contrast in an emotion because they've actually contributed something to someone else. And when that person felt it, your employee or the person you love felt it as well. You could even get your kids to do this. Send something physical. It's a great activity and they've just got to either make something or they've got to find something in their own house. So now the last strategy I'll also throw out is the idea of talking about this period as a hibernation. And what do people do when they hibernate? Hibernation is really a time when you prepare or rest for the next thing. We don't know what the next thing is But hibernation is a great way to rationalize or understand or forgive ourselves for not being at our absolute maximum. You you don't sunbake in the winter. And likewise, because we don't have all the opportunities to strive, like we would have the opportunity to sunbake in the summer, we do have a more subdued approach. With hibernation, there is an element of rest, rejuvenation, and preparation. So we want to deliberately facilitate that. At the moment, if your people don't have enough work to do, they can drop their cadence of productivity and it can happen permanently. They go from being 100 down to a 70 and that's just the way they operate once they come out of this patch. We need to define this period as a hibernation period. And rather than dropping our productivity down to 70, we actually need to fill the diaries with more. A course that has to be done take two hours off in the afternoon, but you still have the same level of work. Whatever we do, we don't drop the productivity that's required. Now, I said earlier, get your team to operate at a minimum effective dose of what the business needs. And that is true because we can't drive some projects forward, but we don't allow those tasks to take up the 40 hours that we were working. If these minimum effective activities only take 20 hours of the work week, that as leaders, we need to look at the other 20 hours and put something significant in there, a course or some learning or something that really 
suits a hibernation mentality, which is having us prepare for the future. Maybe there's ideas that the team have had that they've never explored before that they'd like to table. Say, right, write up that picture to me. Spend a week proposing that. Just be aware that we don't want tasks that used to take one hour now be allowed to take two or three hours. We have to lead people so that doesn't happen. Either we shorten their week and say you're not working or we fill that time, but we need to make sure that people's cadence is still quite high, possibly half the time working and the other half the time learning or developing, but we don't want that cadence to be just how we operate now and constantly forgive people and say that's okay. I'm very kind in this time because they maybe they're in a flat spot, but I do want to lead my people through the awareness of, yes, you are healing. We are in a hibernation mode, but we are resting. We are rejuvenating. We're preparing for something bigger. So when you work, we're still on. And when we rest, we rest properly. And that too will add to the contrast that they need in their life. That so they're going hardcore, working on something, and then they're doing something else. As a leader, we need to guide them on that. So I'd love to hear any of the success that you have with this. If you don't have a listener number, you haven't let us know that you're part of the community, please reach out. Uh, There's much more that we could cover on this topic. But for now, this is it, folks. This episode is brought to you by the 1 to 10 Business Club. It is where many of these recordings come from. It is the community that I coach and is the best way to get access to all the genius and the melting pot that allow you to liberate the talent and capacity of your business. For more information, just go to dobbo.com.au and look for the right tab. That's a wrap for today. If you would like to be part of the community or access more strategies for your business, go to dobbo.com.au.